Let us pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. As we know, today's theme is visions of glory, beauty, and sacred art in the devotional life of the church. We will begin our discussion today, first of all, with beauty, which is an obscured virtue in the 21st century in much of Western civilization. How shall we speak about beauty? Let's begin with Plato. Plato gave us what he called the essentials, and there are three essentials of reality in Platonic philosophy. There is goodness, there is truth, and there is beauty. And these three are completely interrelated and work together to fashion, by God's grace, the reality which we inhabit. Beauty is one of the three essentials because it is a participation in God himself. Now, one of the things that Orthodox Christians always point out about beauty is that beauty cannot be divorced from goodness and truth. These three realities or essentials must collaborate together or we have some kind of disorder in creation. Goodness, beauty, and truth relate to each other and connect to each other. Beauty, as we may know from our own experience, is being lifted out of ourselves to behold the grandeur of God. We understand beauty on an innate level. Uh, sometimes it's very difficult to describe what beauty exactly is. Very hard to put it into words. But beauty is something that we automatically know. In our conscience, in our soul, in our spirit, in our mind, we can tell the difference between something that is not beautiful and something that is. So beauty is not necessarily in the eye of the beholder. That's a common phrase, but it's not entirely true. Yes, there may be individual tastes, individual preferences for certain styles of art or music or literature, but the fact of the matter is, is that there is an objectivity to what is beautiful, and it is something that transcends ourselves. Beauty may be in the eye of the beholder only to a very limited extent because there is in fact something that can be determined to be objectively beautiful or objectively ugly. It makes me think of my cousin once who said, referring to some modern church architecture, he and I were together looking at this new building and I asked him, what was the architectural style? And his reply was, early ugly. <laughs> early ugly. It looked like a Walmart. All of us know the difference between a Walmart, which is a very industrialized and very standardized form, versus Chartres Cathedral, or Winchester Cathedral, or Canterbury, or even St. Peter's Basilica with all of its glory in the city of Rome and Vatican City. Yes, we know the difference intuitively, innately, between that which is beautiful and that which is not. 
And this discrimination is based on the reality of our own soul. God made us in his image and likeness and has given us goodness, truth, and beauty as the way by which we access the reality of God so that we can truly say that beauty is a participation in the beautiful or in God most supremely who is beauty itself. Take, for example, goodness. Christian philosophers have debated for centuries what it means to be good. Well, we know at the end of the day, at the fulfillment of all things, the telos, the perfection of all things, God is goodness itself. God is summum bonum. God is the highest good. And we participate in goodness, and we can only be good by virtue of being in God, from whom goodness flows, for he is goodness itself. God is the ground of our being. We often say that God exists, but in a real sense, he is beyond existence. Being the self-existent one, he is the ground of all being. He is that unto which all reality is thrown in relief. God is the basis of all things. So it is with goodness. We think of truth, and truth is revealed in its fullness in Jesus Christ, who is the second person of the Blessed Trinity. And he says to us in St. John's Gospel, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus Christ is the instantiation of truth. In him all truth is revealed. In him all of the way of life, of truth, of goodness, manifested in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is God incarnate. So truth is not merely an intellectual proposition. Truth is a person, a person who is incarnate. And so it is with beauty. God, who is the summum bonum, the highest good, goodness itself, God, who is truth itself, disclosed and revealed to mankind, so God is beauty himself. And every form of beauty is an approach to God. But more than that, when we behold that which is beautiful, we are caught up in love of the God who transcends this world. God is totally other, and yet in beauty, which we all can discern and all can understand, we are actually able to participate in the reality of God. So beauty has truly an objective standard to it. Now we may not exactly always be able to distinguish that which is beautiful from that which is not, but most of the time we can and we should endeavor to do so. Very much like the conscience, which has to be an informed conscience. How do we know what is right and wrong? We must form our consciences. To know what is right and wrong, we have to read the Word of God in Holy Scripture. We have to be formed by the moral law of God, revealed supernaturally to us, a divine revelation, which is supremely found in Holy Scripture but also in the tradition of the church. We have to form our consciences to know what is right and wrong. It's not simply enough to say, I'm following my conscience. Well, sometimes we can have a malformed conscience, a conscience that has not been properly instructed 
in God's revelation to us, and therefore in truth. The same applies also to beauty. We can learn what is beautiful by examining beauty, understanding what is truly beautiful, and looking at it through the lens of the Christian faith. And what distinguishes something that is truly beautiful from something that is genuinely not. So beauty is certainly an essential of Plato, but it is also an essential of God himself. Beauty lifts us out of ourselves towards God. Now, all of us have had the experience of beauty in so many different ways, and we use the word beauty or beautiful to describe various aspects of our life and our experience of other people and of God. What is beautiful to us? Think of the things in your life that you would describe as the most beautiful. We think of a glorious sunset. We think of the mountains of East Tennessee. We think of a newborn baby. We think of a gorgeous opera where the music moves us to tears. We think of Bach or Beethoven. And then we think of the master artists and what they have pr produced, such as Rembrandt and others. And there is in what they produce a beauty. This is part of, <coughs> excuse me, the mystery of what it is to be in the image of God. God has implanted in us the sensibility and the sensi sensitivity of beauty. When we encounter beauty, not only are we encountering the divine, but we are in fact encountering the divine that is implanted in us as the image and likeness of God. And we have these experiences and we know that they are beautiful and we are given the capacity to understand that they are beautiful by God. So when we behold something that is beautiful or have that experience, we know that it's beautiful. How do we know it's beautiful? Because God is showing us that it is beautiful. And there are so many different aspects to this in our personal life, but all of us have an appreciation for it. Now we may ask ourselves, is, is beauty simply something that we experience on a mundane or sort of just merely human level. Uh, for example, I enjoy uh, a certain kind of music or I enjoy certain places I like to visit. Is that merely just my own feeling about the matter? And what the Christian faith would say is no, it is not. It is in fact a way by which we are elevated by God to participate in Him. A famous phrase that is used sometimes to describe beauty is a painful beauty. Have you ever had that experience where something is so beautiful, something is so overwhelming that it charges the emotion and the soul and brings us to our knees or to tears or it motivates us or it inspires us or it compels us? Is that merely simply a human emotion or a human reaction? It is not. It is not. We should contend that when you encounter something that beautiful, something that moves the soul so profoundly, that what is happening there is that we are making a connection with God. We are making a connection with God. So let's move on from the basic principle of beauty into the Christian faith itself. 
Jesus Christ came into the world to redeem every aspect of creation. In Jesus Christ, all things are recapitulated. All things are summarized. All things are summed up in Him. And Christ came into the world, God in human nature, in human form, to take the material world and to make it the means or the vehicle of the Spirit. God became man so that man may become God. As says St. Athanasius the Great, the great defender of the Nicene Creed. We might say that we become by grace what God is by nature. God wants to raise us into divine adoption, divine sonship, so that we participate in the life of the Holy Trinity. We enter into the life of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Beauty certainly has its place there. Christ restores the beauty of the cosmos. All that we know that could be beautiful, all that we know that is beautiful, is restored in Christ, for in Christ all things are restored. So Christians, on a theological and philosophical level, always appreciate the nature of beauty because we see in that which is beautiful the renovation of the created order by Christ. Think of the contrary point of view to beauty. What is the opposite of beauty? Ugliness, that which is distorted, twisted, marred, perverted, inverted. And that is how we can describe the fallen world, the fallen world which sadly still exists today, although Christ has come to raise it up. But until Christ comes at the end of the world, at the final regeneration of the Son of Man at the last day, we will persist to live in a world that suffers the consequences of original sin. That is the distinction. Original sin takes that which is beautiful, which was created in harmony, in balance, in perfection, communion, and distorts it. What happened in the fall of man? Man was created innocent, and he was created in communion with God, and created in harmony with the universe. By his rebellion, having broken his communion with God, he severed himself from life. And when mankind in Adam and Eve separated from the source of life itself, ugliness was ushered into the world. And then we get all of the features that we think of when we think of sin, how it draws people away, how it darkens the intellect and the mind, how it weakens the will and impairs the emotion and distorts the human person. That's what we would call ugliness. But beauty is restored by Christ, who is our beautiful Lord. Not only is the Lord Jesus Christ our courteous Lord, always courteous, always compassionate, always kind and understanding, even when he is using his cord whip to strike those money changers in the temple, he was still doing it out of love to save their souls. Not only is Christ our merciful Lord, our compassionate Lord, our courteous Lord, Jesus is the embodiment of beauty. 
when he is raised up on the cross, he draws all men unto himself, that in him all things might be restored. And in his resurrection, Christ restores beauty to the universe, a universe which had been darkened with sin, rebellion, disorder, chaos. Christ comes into the world to restore beauty, to restore fellowship and relationship with God. These are the theological aspects of the truth of beauty. And therefore, what Christians do is take the creation, take the material world that Christ has redeemed, and in our hands it is redeemed as well. This is where Christian art comes from. This is the source from which it flows. The God who gave mankind the ability to create now in Christ has renovated and restored all things so that Christians take material things in the world which we know to be sacramental and by doing so we fashion beauty to the glory and the praise of God. We should speak for a moment about the sacramental principle and why beauty is so important for the Christian faith. Before the coming of Christ, we know that the world indeed was a fallen place with a fallen state, and the created order was separated from our Creator and was not the source of grace, but it was a source of condemnation because of our fallenness, although the inherent goodness of creation always has existed. And in spite of man's fall, the goodness of creation has always persisted. In Christ now, the goodness of creation, the beauty of it, has been restored, but more than that. God became man, God became material, so that he could transform his creation through the material order. And this is where the sacraments come from. The sacraments are material instruments of God's grace, channels of God's grace. The incarnation of God in the person of Jesus Christ, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, means that God became material. God became stuff. God became the matter of this world. And in so doing, he totally transformed it. He made it to be spirit-bearing. He made it to be the means, the instrument of divine grace. The divine life is now conveyed through the material world, through the stuff of this world. The sacraments are God prolonging his incarnation so that he may give to us his incarnate life through physical means. This is how we are saved. God doesn't want to turn us into a frog or a tree or a brick in order to save us. God wants to save us in our own human nature. He wants us to be fully human, fully alive in him. This is why St. Irenaeus of Lyon says that the image of God is man fully alive. So the sacraments are the material and physical ways by which God extends the incarnation to us and we can receive it. Through water we are regenerated, born anew of water and the Holy Ghost in baptism. We are regenerated and given the new life in Christ. In the Eucharist, the forms of bread and wine are transformed to become Christ himself. So that under the form of bread and wine, we, we receive the God-man, 
body, blood, soul, and divinity. And so it is true of all the sacraments. This points to beauty. There is a sacramental principle now at work in the world. And the church is the sign of God's beauty to creation. The church is the kingdom of God. The church is the beginning of God's transfiguration of all things in his son. The church is the down payment on a transformed universe. And Christian churches become signs of God's sacramental presence in the world, signs of God's beauty. And this is why from the very beginning, from the very, very beginning of all things back in the first century, Christians have always used sacred art. One of the best examples of this is if you go to the catacomb of St. Priscilla, which is in the city of Rome, one of the catacombs in which the early Christians worshipped for fear of persecution by the Roman Empire. And Christians erected altars in these tombs of the martyrs underground. But when they fashioned these gloomy underground churches, they brightened them and lightened them with frescoes, paintings. And one of the earliest ones we have, perhaps the earliest Christian image we have, is one of mother and child, which is seen in the catacomb of St. Priscilla. We see the Blessed Virgin Mary holding the Christ child, and we see the star of Bethlehem above them. This is at the end of the first or the beginning of the second century. Christians began to transform all things through the eternal Son, Jesus Christ. And one of the first things that we began to transform was art. Art, which, of course, had existed for millennia before, all of a sudden became sacramental. And the earliest Christians would employ artistic representation of our Lord Jesus Christ and the saints to show the reality that the world has been changed. In Christ, the world has been raised up. In Christ, the world has been restored to beauty. Now, in the beginning, it was very simple art. It was not complex. But we go from St. Priscilla's catacomb, which has uh, the image of Our Lady and Child and the Star of Bethlehem, and also a fresco of the Last Supper, or a celebration of the Eucharist, one or the other. We go all the way to that, to the, the magnificent apex of architecture in the Gothic period when the magnificent Gothic cathedrals were erected and took, in many cases, decades, if not hundreds of years, to complete. All of that is based in the fact that in Christ, theologically, philosophically, but most importantly, in our own reality, the world has become a place of beauty. And now we are called to be co-creators with God in fashioning that beauty. In the beginning, we were created to be co-creators with God, to participate with God in his act of creation. And God did not want us to be passive in that participation. He wants us to be active. The original vocation of man was to be the priest of creation, to take all the material of this world and to render it to God as a living offering of praise and worship. This is why we were created, 
The human race is the apex of the created order. Adam was made to be the priest-king of creation, and he squandered that vocation by his own rebellion and rejection of God's will. He sought to become God on his own terms, and yet God had offered him the plenitude of divine life, and yet Adam rebelled against it. In Jesus Christ, that primordial vocation has been restored. The human person has been raised up now in Christ, adopted by God the Father through the Son in the Holy Spirit to be the Son of God by grace and adoption. And we take our place now as the adopted children of God to be the priests and the kings of the created order, the representative of God to the creation, the representative of creation to God. And in that vocation, beauty takes supreme place because now we are graced, we are fashioned to recreate the world. And we do that in a specific Christian way by art, by the gift of taking of the material world and fashioning it and refashioning it and offering it to God in such a way that it brings glory to Him. But beyond that, it actually becomes sacramental. Now, a little bit later, when we get into our next session, we will talk about how Christian iconography actually raises us into the divine life and makes us to participate in the beauty of God himself. But the basis of that lies in creation, redemption, glorification. God created this world in order that we might participate in his life. God created the world so that we might ultimately be in communion with him. It fell because of sin. In the redemption, Christ has now brought all things to himself and by the blood of his cross has made peace between heaven and earth and has raised up the material world in his resurrection. Christ's resurrection from the dead is the destruction of death. Christ's resurrection from the dead is the restoration of life to this universe, to this physical and material world. And glorification is when it will be finally consummated in Christ at the end of the world. These theological truths are key to understanding what beauty is. Now we can get a sense of what is truly objective about beauty and what brings glory to God. We can distinguish it. So in the next conversation, that's where we will next go, and we'll talk about specifically how the Christian image, Christian art, sacred art, is not just a pretty picture. It is, in fact, sacramental, and it causes us, united to Christ, to participate in the life of God. So thank you very much. We'll pause now and take a break. Thank you. Thank you